To be a warrior is not a simple matter of wishing to be one. It is rather an endless struggle that will go on to the very last moment of our lives. Nobody is born a warrior in exactly the same way that nobody is born an average man. We make ourselves into one or the other. What's going on, guys? It's MDOP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast, and I am really fucking excited about our guest today. Um, first, I'm going to give a couple shout-outs. Uh, Beer Strong Podcast, again, making this possible. Our first Skype session podcast, which thoroughly I have no idea what we're doing. And I am having a cup of whiskey at 144 in the afternoon, so I'm having an anxiety <laughs> attack. Um, but I want to shout-out to that and my homies, Team PRS, and everybody at the Battle Axe Gym. And somebody on the show right now that I'm not going to give too much of an introduction just because he is that well-known, but I will say something very, very important. He took time off uh, out of his day and his busy schedule to reach out to a podcast that has six, seven episodes, and it just goes to show you the dedication and love for the sport that he has and for the blue-collar, I guess you'd call us the small man, uh, working up and working hard. So without further ado, Dave Tate from Elite FTS, man, welcome here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm cheesing on my side. I want you to know, so I'm glad we're not on the video camera, because uh, <laughs> then you just make fun of my stupid face the whole time. So, uh, Dave, um, I want to start off by asking, like we talked about um, just prior to starting the recording, that we're going to just have a series of questions, and then we're just going to start flowing. Um, can I ask you something very thoroughly? What, and this is something that, what makes you just reach out to something like this, like? Um, I know that you're a busy guy, and I'm not saying I'm not asking that in a negative sense. Like, what, like, what drives you to do that? Because I admire that a lot, and that's kind of the reason why I started the podcast with that question. I'll never forget what it was like starting out, and you know, having a small business. You know, it's 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 hard. You gotta you gotta you gotta work hard. You gotta work consistently. You fail a lot. You screw up a lot. You know, so you by by. I would rather do a podcast that has 300 followers than a podcast that has a million followers any day because the million follower guy is typically not passionate about what they're trying to learn. They're more passionate about trying to build the following than we're passionate about trying to build, you know, the, the audience. And it's, it's like the old radio shows, you know, you, you could always tell the difference between the radio personality that really wanted to, you know, try to better the world compared to those that don't. That's not saying that everybody that's got a huge podcast sucks. It's just saying I'm not going to go out of my way for anybody that's got a huge podcast or a huge following because I don't think I think a lot of the times they lose their their reason for why they got into doing it in the first place. You know, they got into it to give back, to help, to learn, and those type of things. But then when you see, you say you look at episode one, then you look at episode 700, and you listen to what they were talking about then to what they were talking about now, but there's, a, there's a, a lot of times there's a huge priority shift. Yeah, so, like it, it kind of goes stale in a sense. And not really so much stale, but now it's all about we need to, we need to make sure that we're you know, getting the advertisers. We need to make sure that we're keeping people on, you know, everything that goes along with the podcasting. It's the same thing that goes on in journalism. It's, it's, I don't want to say it becomes like fake news because it's, it's, it's really not the case, <laughs> but 
I mean, when they get to a certain point, the only thing that they're concerned about is I need to get somebody on the show that has a lot of followers. You know, that way right. we can build our followers. Well, is it about fucking helping people or is it about followers? Because those, to me, it's two different things. Right. And uh, that's kind of a reason why, I, honestly, like I, uh, that's kind of why I put it on my podcast. Just honestly, you give off that vibe. Um, to a lot of us starting a business and to a lot of people lifting you have that vibe of like never forgetting where you came from and like what I call like a blue collar work ethic with a new school approach um, to your coaching and to your videos and that's when I had messaged you I had said look you know we're small we're ambitious and I kind of threw it out there just I had a feeling that that would that would land um, on your porch and so again man that's that's really cool that you you still have that that approach no matter where you're at I think it's it's another thing too that you know it, it validates asking. You know, a lot of a lot of startup people, you know, a lot of startup companies and so forth. It's just a, or even lifters, they're they're afraid to ask. You know, and that's that's a fear they need to learn to overcome. Yeah. So if they see that, you know, if I can do these types of things to kind of validate that, you know, hey, look, a startup or somebody that just started a podcast reached out and asked and they had success, you know, it's there, there's no networking or anything like that. You just asked, right. You know, it's, it's while it's so simple, it's very complicated for most people. And when it comes to kind of never forgetting your roots, I'm real big into that because from a training standpoint, you're only one big, you're only one injury away from being right back to where you started from. Oh man, preaching to the or, choir on that one, or, brother. Or or being completely done forever. So you can yeah. you can let your ego get as big as you want to be and be the strongest person in the whole fucking country. I don't care. You know, one injury, now you're challenged and you have to fight the adversity to come back or you're done for good. You know, in business, two bad months and you have no business. So you're yeah. right back to, you know, searching the one ads, trying to find a job. So you know, it, it all is everything always comes full circle. So you can't forget where you come from, you know, Absolutely. And, you know, because you can that you, you may be there again. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I, had, I had written an article last night for the website and I have compared injury and I and in many senses business to a kind of like obviously a climb. But, um, you know, often people, when you think you're close to the top, for example, when you're injured, you know, and then let's say, for example, I just tore my bicep tendon because obviously that's what happens in strongman to old guys. But um, right when you're you're relatively pain free and you pick up your first dumbbell, you know, you kind of get this, you kind of get lulled to sleep. You know, you just came out of the valley, the hard climb, and you're on this little steep hill and you're like, oh, shit, you know, I made it. Uh, obviously, this is going to be easy. But on the contrary. The moment you pick up that five-pound dumbbell and your arm's trembling and you're like, holy shit, it's trembling on a five-pound dumbbell, I still have an incredible climb to go. And I, I kind of reflect that upon business, and I'd, I'd, I'd wonder if you agree the same thing, is that right when you think you're making it, and it's, it got to reflect on what you just said, you, you kind of get lulled into sleep as complacency of success or healing, and suddenly you're like, fuck, dude, I'm, I'm just at the bottom of another huge mountain. Oh, yeah, it's always... You're always it, well. It, I guess it depends upon how much will, how much you're willing to learn, you know. Because right. some people are going to think that they're at the top of the mountain and they never hit the bottom. But you know, through training or business or whatever it is, it's 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 easier to describe 
it's easier for me to describe it in a training standpoint because most listeners will understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, when I was in high school, I was reading all the weeder magazines and, you know, all the weeder books and all this other kind of stuff. So when I graduated high school, I thought I knew everything about training, man. I knew every weeder principle. I knew fucking every, you know, I had been competing in powerlifting for many years had a decent total, thought I knew everything. You know, then I go to college and I start taking courses on, you know, exercise science, for a lot, you know, uh, biochemistry. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know a goddamn thing. <laughs> and, you know, then it's like starting over, but you still have a higher base. And then, you know, I can several times throughout my training life, you know, meeting Louie was another one. You know, I thought I knew everything. I had the linear periodization figured out. I had even nonlinear methods block, all these different periodization methods kind of not figured out from a programming standpoint, but not really figured out from a personal standpoint, because that's always in its developmental process. But I mean, I thought, you know, there's nothing else here for me to learn. You know, I got it all figured out. I just got to figure out how to put it all together. Then I met him and it's like, oh, I don't know a goddamn thing. You know, (laughs) now we're going back and we're starting again. And, then, you know, when I started to step outside and become more acquainted with more division one strength coaches and professional strength coaches, it hit me again. Like, Oh my God, I don't know anything when it comes to, you know, so you got to put yourself in the positions where I could have just finished high school and just trained high school athletes and just never bothered to pick up a different book other than, what I've already read and just stayed in my current educational mindset and had results training that group and still think I know everything, you know, the, the basis of most research is to prove something incorrect. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So that's literally science. Yes. The basis of anybody who's trying to become a better strength coach or a better personal trainer should be what is out there that is going to change your philosophy on training instead of spending time looking for all the resources and all the quotes and all the uh, journal articles and all the people who just validate what you already know, which is what we see a lot in the industry is people, everybody has their biases. I have my biases you know, so I could spend all my time just looking for things that validate, you know, more of a left side conjugate type of training mm-hmm. and come up with mounds and mounds and mounds of data, information and research and all that just to validate my bias. Or I could look for things that are going to expose my bias and show yeah. why it's wrong and then grow from that. So it's that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, and it. I think I. Um, there's a lot of things to touch base on there, but one of the things that I guess from my experience as a coach is, I mean, obviously not at the same level, but um, same thing. Obviously, young, especially because I came from fighting and shit, and I was like, oh, I'm a fighter, I'm in shape. And then I remember seeing that most people who had a resolute, concrete idea and wouldn't bend just seemed so appealing at first. You know, I was guilty. Anything that was just okay, linear progression, duh, like that's the only way. And then I got into Westside, and I'm like, well, duh, that's the only way, too. This is the conjugate method. And then uh, I feel like as you evolved, I think as people evolve in general, especially in the coaching industry, it's, it becomes so individualistic and in that things that are concrete and set in stone typically who used to uh, like just lure you into studying it 
you kind of like, it's almost like a red flag when somebody says, well, this is the only way, um, which yeah. I think as a young coach well, really is what you want. And then you kind of start to shift around. I mean, some things are set in stone, obviously, but yeah. most it of is, it, it is and it isn't because, you know, the, the thing to remember, and it's, you know, I, I, I always screw the quote up, you know, people will look at Louis Simmons and they'll look at, um, Darden when it comes to hit training, or they'll look to Ripito when it comes to starting strength, you know, or Wendler when it comes to five three one, and they'll look at these people that have these these methods, these very ground methods, these successful methods, and they want to duplicate, you know, they want to be like mm. they are, they want to duplicate that method. So instead of climbing the same mountain they climbed, they just want to use their mountain. So they're, they're missing the point. If they want to be like them, then look at the commonalities amongst all the people that share a very, you know, that have a really successful program. The commonalities is they all walk their own road to try to determine what their own philosophy is based upon the demographics that they work with. So mm. walk the same road. Don't jump on the same mountain. You know, seek what they saw, not what they have. You know, and yeah. that that's the true goal of really any business or any coaching or whatever it is. And in business you do, I mean you got reverse engineering and in coaching you got borrowing of ideas. I mean you have all these things that are just part of the process. You know, it's it's just how it works. You're gonna use other people's ideas and I mean, that's, that's kind of how it all comes to light. But if, if a coach is consistently trying to work on their own philosophy, then, you know, say you've been training with weights for 20 years and you've been working with other athletes for 20 years. And I sat you down at a glass table and just said, start writing down what you know works. You could probably fill half that table or three quarters of the table of things that you know work. All right. So I want to know, and help you to discover those things that you don't know, that you don't know, that 20% of the table that needs to be filled, and then work on filling that instead of work on filling everything that you already know works. Because even if somebody tells you it doesn't work or it's not right, you got 20 years of experience working with athletes that tells you that it is right. So that's where... You know, in strength and conditioning, there's, you know, it's, it's always important to bring up your weak points. That's drilled into our head. You break up your weak points and your strengths become stronger. Now, in coaching and business, it's almost, it's a, it's a flip side of that. In, in coaching and business, you can spend all your time trying to bring up your weak points and suck. Yeah. Because you're never using your strengths. Your right. strengths are your advantage. So when you're in coaching and your business, you need to figure out what your strengths are. And then how to build on those because they're your competitive advantage. That's not to say you don't focus on your weak points, but in business, you, you know, it's not like you have a, a total, you know, or a lift that you have to make that, you know, everything has to work. You can hire somebody to take care of your weak points, you know, to right. bring up that part. But if you go in to the, the, the game, you know, yeah. with, without even using your strength, you've already lost. You're going in with both hands tied behind your back. And yeah, hoping, it's like, yeah, hoping your neck work was strong enough to keep you from getting knocked out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like going into a fight saying, oh, my jab sucks. And then, like, telling it to your opponent, too. So they just beats the shit out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that's, man, that's awesome. Um, and that, I was I was just kind of listening to it. It's funny that the things that you're mentioning are literally outlining almost in order some of the questions that I had for you. And I, I typically, I, like I said, I, there's just so many things that come up in the conversation. But one thing I did want to ask you, um, now, uh, this listening to you talk, obviously, it's like you discovered different times in your life of coaching. And I don't think, I think most of us can say there's no one definitive time when you're like, okay, I'm a coach now, or okay, I'm an athlete now. But there's going to be some times that really, really stand out um, when you just said, okay, look, I'm an athlete. You know, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm a real fucking power lifter. I'm not one of these guys that are just, you know, doing it on the weekend. Um, and if you could, if you could say something to yourself back then, um, as our advice that you would give yourself the first day that you truly decided to go balls in into business. Um, and then as an athlete, because obviously those are two, two completely different mindsets and two completely types of aggression, even though there's a lot of things that tie them in. Um, it's just two completely different approaches, especially something as individualistic as powerlifting and then something like business, which is, it's obviously a social thing, but, what what would you tell yourself the first day as an athlete now, knowing what you know now, like the experience? And and, and I want to say this because there's a lot of us um, that are within the first year uh, lifting. And then there's that middle ground, the no man's land, where you're six, seven, eight years in, but you're not 20 years in. And it still feels like you're becoming an athlete or you're discovering yourself. So what would you tell yourself as an athlete and as a businessman if you can just simplify some sort of advice like, hey, bro. Boom, and you just dropped in. From the from the training standpoint, I don't really know if I'd be the right person to ask that question because I got into it at twelve. I did my first meet when I was thirteen, and at the time, you know, up in most of my childhood was getting the shit kicked out of me and bullied and beat up, and you know, it, I, I was going in the wrong direction let's just put it that way in, in a lot of different ways in a lot of different areas so my father found a gym that was owned partially by the chief of narcotics and so he kind of put me in there and when i started training with those guys i loved i loved the training i loved the outlet you know i loved to be able to get stronger because then i, I went from the person everybody was fucking with to the person nobody wanted to fuck with and um, so it, it satisfied that. Then I, I competed like 12 or 16 weeks after I got in there. And then, you know, it's my strength grew, my confidence grew, my identity became a power lifter. So my identity from 13, so from 83 all the way to 2005, my sole identity was power lifter. That was my number one priority. Um, so if, you know, if I really was to give, real honest advice i go back and say don't make it your number one priority but if i didn't do that at that time first off i didn't even know that's what i was doing if i right. didn't do it at that time i may be in a really bad place you know i wouldn't be in the place i am now um so that's why i don't think i'm really because there i didn't really have the decision because i started competing and then within a few years i told my first elite and then I'm, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the game, and it's just one meet after the next meet after the next meet, and I had enough common sense to be able to know continue your education. You know, I had some good coaches along the way. You know that 
forced me to go back to college after I flunked out um, and helped me make some very critical decisions that I probably otherwise wouldn't have made, which is a lot of the reasons why I have the business now, because you never know what influence you can have on somebody. It can be just one statement, you know, a wrestling coach telling me one night when I was running the stairs, my mom was 45 minutes late. So I just put my shoes on and ran the stairs until she came and, you know, I'm running and I'm running and everybody's gone except him. So he's waiting for me, you know, to leave. And then he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm sick of getting beat. And up until that point, I didn't win for two years straight. And he said, you keep doing shit like this, you'll never get beat. So I learned what hard work meant. And I never yeah. lost. I never lost again. And um, because it validated it that one statement from one person in one gym with no fucking lights on changed my life as far as work ethic. You Fuck, know? man, I wish you could see the smile on my face right now, bro. I have a podcast where I say something exactly like that, dude. Jesus. And then there, there was another time in my life where, you know, I went to college and I grew up learning disabled special education classes, the whole nine yards. And so when I went to college, I flunked out. And then I came back home and I was hanging out at the high school weight room and an old coach of mine, different coach, came out and asked me how school was. And I dodged the question and, said, and just was talking about training because I learned a ton in the library reading strength and conditioning journals but then he kept circling it back and i said it didn't go well man it's just this isn't my thing you know i i was never made for this you know it's i was told all along you know dyslexia all this other stuff and he told me straight up he said he said it's not that you're it's not that you can't do it or that you're stupid you're just fucking lazy and that that (laughs) statement you know, I left. I left pissed, and I drove around for about two hours, and ended up pulling off the road, breaking down, crying, because I didn't know the answer. I did not know. Was did I not try hard enough? Was I just lazy? So I went back, and I found out I was fucking lazy. I just had to work harder than everybody else. I had to take that stairway mentality and put it into the books. And I did. And if it wasn't for that statement, I would not have went back to college. I wouldn't be sitting there today. So that whole live, learn, pass on motto that's run my whole life is because of people like these guys. And what every coach should know is they all have the power to change a life with one sentence, you know, either in spite of or despite of the circumstance. You know, you could piss somebody off so bad with a statement, it changes their life, too. I mean, it still comes down to individual choice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you can take two kids that grow up in the same environment, the same adversities. One of them prospers and the other one doesn't. At some point, personal choice comes in there, you know, because the circumstance doesn't determine the person. You know, the circumstance sets the situation for them to decide what they're going to do with it. You know, is it going to negatively impact them or is it going to motivate them to not be that, you know? Yeah, it's a sense of accountability, which is, which is huge. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of kids. I mean, look at, especially in athletes, there's a lot of kids that are where they're at despite their circumstances they grew up in, not in spite of. 
So sometimes as a father, you're like, man, maybe I should be shitting on my kids more. You know, because you, know, you, know, you, you don't know the answer, man. You don't know what's going to motivate anybody. But, it's, um, but it does come down to that personal choice. Yeah, and and uh, it's funny. And I, the reason why I brought it up um, when you were talking like this is uh, I, I tell this story all the time. And obviously I'm not going to tell it again because I don't want to uh, – add more time and take away from what you just said but exactly what my coach said to me he lined us up after a heavy sparring session i used to be a muay thai fighter and he asked everybody our strength and he basically uh, everyone went down the line when it got to me I, I thought he meant like a physical thing so i said my legs and it came down to being like he told me your strength is your will to win and no one had ever spoken to me like that you know i was a chubby kid that finally had like lost weight i was good at fighting now and it gave me such a, a sense of accountability that somebody saw that within me and it's just like you said, when you're in a position of coaching, uh, sometimes those words are like dropping a coin in a well. The echo is for miles. You can just hear that stone drop, that coin drop. And that word, that literally, that phrase is spray painted on my gym wall. And it's what started um, the same kind of work ethic. And it's cool to hear how the Live, Learn, Pass On started with the same kind of concept. It's, it, I agree with you 100, 100% on, on that aspect. Um, and I'm sure that that reflects a shit ton on your actual business drive and getting Elite FTS started and and all like what I say, eating the shit sandwiches when you when you start something. Um, and and, I, and I, I know that you've posted a lot of stuff about, you know, your, your family, your business and being as a leader and as a coach. Um, and that's something that if you if you were to have to say something. I like to always find Occam's razor. I love simplistic stuff. And my, my thing has always been, obviously, a discipline or, or never strain from the way, real short statements. If you were to tell somebody now, if you had the ability to be that coach talking to the stairwell, what, you, what statement would you say? Um, obviously, live, learn, pass on is definitely one, um, one that I think we all appreciate. But if you had to reflect that on somebody, an, an athlete, one of your friends, what would you tell them? What Obviously, it's different from case to case, but uh, what would you tell them in that aspect that you think would, would land like a stone in a well that would just, this is something that's going to just, what I've learned over my life, like, boom. It's always hard. <sighs> like that. You know, if, if they go in, I mean, genetics aside, in sports, it's always hard. You know, if you go in knowing that it's always hard, you always have to work hard. Every excuse that they're ever going to come up with is negated. So what? It's fucking hard. I'm tired. <laughs> so what? It's fucking hard. I can't eat that way. So what? It's fucking hard. You know, the same, same thing in business. I don't have enough money. So what? It's fucking hard. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation with that person. So what? It's fucking hard. You know, if they under, and it never gets easier. It never gets easier. It, the, what, the, what changes, because everything in life changes, everything evolves, it moves. It's always hard, but the things that you felt were hard five years ago are nothing today. Because, because so five, year, yeah, five years ago, it was a war. Today, that same thing's just a little battle, if that. It's like a little tick that you flick off your desk, you know, yeah. Be because you because you fought bigger bigger battles now, you know. So the longer you're around, the bigger battles we fight, and I think that's part of life. I think that's 
how life works because we're all at some point in time going to fight a giant battle with our own health and our own mortality that we have to be mentally prepared for because it could be cancer. It could be, I mean, look at the leading causes of death. I don't care how healthy you are, how healthy you eat, what you do. All, all that's really going to really do is to push back yeah. at best. What's the inevitability. But it's still going to happen. But are you going to mentally? How are you going to mentally be when you're told you have four months to live because you have a tumor in your brain? You know, are you going to be ready for that? Because the person that's not faced any adversity or has avoided all adversity their entire life and have tried to sidestep any troubles or any critical conversations or any confrontation are going to be fucking destroyed. You know, the person that has won't be. And it's the same thing in business. It's always fucking hard. You know, you don't get to a point where all of a sudden it's like, wow. I don't have to worry about paying the bills. <laughs> That's that imaginary mountaintop. That's bullshit. Yeah, you have to. You, you always worry about paying your bills because as you scale, as you get bigger, you got more staff. The risk becomes bigger. The responsibilities become bigger. So the thing that you're supposedly think that you're chasing this this freedom, you know, this ultimate and the, all the shit that people put online. As far as business development to show you how awesome being an entrepreneur is, all that shit that you're trying to chase isn't real because what you're really chasing is more responsibility, more <laughs> accountability, and making and becoming more decisive. Yeah. You know, because without those three things, the decisiveness of responsibility and accountability, you're not gonna have any of those other things. You know. And all those other things that they promote are materialistic anyhow. Who cares? You know, if, if that's your goal, find, you know, you, you've already lost. Yeah. yeah, you lost before you started. And it, it's, uh, if I were to tell you mine, uh, if, you don't, if you don't mind, dude, that my concept, uh, my little one-liner, I guess I would say, we say this all the time. Um, we ended the show constantly. It's, uh, don't be a pussy, everything ends. And to me, that's really the motivator. And hearing you talk, I feel like the ideas are very reflective of each other. And um, I think it's just really fucking flattering to hear that um, that those mindsets are so, I guess, universal. And if everything does end, if you have that concept, it doesn't have to be negative. Like, it should be a really fucking motivating thing. Like hearing you talk about how everything is harder, honestly, just pumps me up. I kind of want to go fucking lift and do everything. But... I think it reflects upon um, your business and the people you surrounded yourself with and the people that you've helped grow. But fuck yeah, man, everything does it and everything is hard. And I think giving people that kind of non-super happy-go-lucky memes about spending your life on a fucking island uh, because suddenly you're a millionaire uh, is is definitely something I think is reflective from somebody who's trained their way to the top. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it makes total sense because I try to... I try to go out of my way to online the articles that I write that are business focused or if I'm talking about things that are business focused, I'm honest with people. You know, that's not to say that somebody isn't going to, you know, hit a trend and grow really fast. I mean, it's we see that it happens, but that's no different than genetics and sport. You know what I'm saying? You're always going to have the kid that doesn't work hard that kicks everybody's ass. You know, know, in business, you're always going to have the people that just kind of find the right 
niche and the right click at the right time and do really well. But the odds are it's not fucking you. You know, so, <laughs> so quit, quit thinking it is. Yeah. You know, and if it is you, then work really fucking hard until that actually happens because it ain't happening right now. You know, and I think a lot of people get into business with a lot with a false impression because even when you have your own business, every business owner I've ever talked to, at least once a day or once every other day, at some point in their time, think, "Man, I wish I worked a nine to five job." <laughs> Can we say uh, maybe three to four times? Is that is that still in the legal limit? Because <laughs> It's almost, it's like every fucking day for me. You know, there's like at yeah. one point it's like, God damn, I wish I could just work a regular nine to five and not have to worry about all this other shit. And, um, but you know what? The people working the night, it's all, the grass is always greener, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, and I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll, the, the, the final decision on that one's going to be when we're on, when we are on our deathbed, you know? Yeah. But until then you just bust ass doing what you're doing because yeah. why waste time, you know, why waste time? I guess that's, I can just period with that. Why waste time? Because if you're just going to half-ass what you're doing, you're just wasting time. Yeah, I, I, I completely, I mean, you're, you're, I'm getting like goosebumps because I agree with you so much, man. It's, I constantly bring up, uh, I don't, not I, we at the gym, my friends, uh, the people that I've surrounded myself with, the term legacy. It's like legacy to me is such a strong word, man. If I could fucking tattoo it, which I probably will, uh, somewhere, it's such a strong meaning to me because that is a word that it's like, it's you gotta fight for it every fucking second, you know. And unfortunately, uh, I didn't really feel it as hard until I lost my best friend last year. And it was, you know, death should be a teacher, a motivator, uh, a reminder that everything does end. And the term legacy and you know fighting for your dreams and all that stuff has always been. Uh, inherent but it felt really hard it just uh, I wanted to really not waste time like what you're saying like every day was something very special to chase like when you're on our deathbed we're gonna hopefully feel that fucking legacy we left behind because of that workload we put into everything and everyone um, so it's, it's really fucking awesome hearing you say that but to turn to, to change not even a little bit of subject because I feel like everything's intertwined. That's why typically people ask me if I have a strength podcast and I'm like 99% of the time it's more fucking philosophy than actual like what rep scheme fucking works because honestly like that doesn't even make a fun conversation. But mm-hmm. um, I'm hearing you – I heard you talk about injury, uh, pain, um, and I, I've, I've really watched a lot of a lot of your stuff on it obviously – uh, rebuilding Dave Tate with Doc with the doctor, which uh, kudos to you, bro, because all that shit really, really is hard. I'm watching. It, I'm like, fuck, man, this poor dude, because I feel the same way. But um, if, if importantly, I know as an athlete, I think pain is is almost is the worst thing. To, it's not even a good question to an athlete because pain is like what's expected. It's very easy to overcome pain. It's really hard to stop something. That's something that I've learned last year working with Brian, uh, recovering from a spine injury, a pretty bad spine injury, and having not to do shit for nine fucking months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as as far as a coach, um, I know that you've been approached with this question, and in my case, many times, and there's almost a uh, a weight to that question. Okay, I'm hurt. What do I do? Um, and how have you helped these people overcome Conversation-wise, experience-wise, story-wise, shit, even scar-wise, like showing it, look, bro, I've fucking been through it. Would you say that? How would you say that experience has been, and 
what advice would you give? And obviously I'm asking not only for myself, but anybody listening as a leader uh, to somebody that's, who's listening. That's a tough one for a couple of reasons. The, the first reason is it falls outside of the scope of practice of anybody who's not a physical therapist or a doctor. So if some come, somebody comes to me and they are in pain, you know, or they have an injury, I can't tell them what to do legally. That's it. That's not legal. It's outside of right. scope of practice. So from that standpoint, it's, you know, I've always tried to surround myself with people who, and this is going all the way back to the 90s when I first came to Columbus and Louis. You know, the, I found Louis, then the second person I started looking for was, you know, a physical therapist. And um, so it's, it's, it's always having those people in your corner who are professionals that could be a doctor, could be an orthopedic, could be a physical therapist, but somebody that you can run ideas through to at least start to build a relationship because they're going to be basically textbook right from the very beginning. Now you stay communicating with the same physical therapist, and the same doctor for four or five years. Then all of a sudden that textbook starts to not be so rigid so when you start saying, you know, I was thinking about trying to do this for my rehab, what do you think? There might be a pause, and then they'll say, you know what, it might work. You know, so then there, there's discussion where before that you're going to get the hard answer just like everybody always gets. So it's that's why I tell every strength athlete you have to, as soon as you can, you start trying to build a relationship with the doctor and with the physical therapist, and, <laughs> you know, and – and over a period of time, even if they're not meatheads, you know, or they, they will get to know you. They'll get to know the mentality. They'll get to know that you're going to do it anyhow. So if you're going to do it anyhow, they're going to want to have you do it the safest way possible. You know, and if you're not going to do it the 100 percent safest way, textbook way, then they'll compromise in there. Um, now, from I can if somebody comes to me and says, you know, what did you do after you tore your pet or after you had your shoulder surgery or, you know, after you fucked your neck up or, you know, I can just keep going on for an hour. <laughs> uh, hold on, because I'm writing those down so that I'm yeah. less bad about my life. Yeah, then, then I can say, you know what, this is what I did. You know, I don't suggest doing it yourself, but I got back in the game within three weeks or four weeks. You know, I was always able to get back very fast, which I think to the detriment it took years off the ass end of my career by doing those things, but it, I never missed a meet because of an injury. So I guess in some fucked up way, I'm proud of that, but, um, it just didn't hurt. So the advice I would give is in strength sports, you can do your best and everybody should try to do their best. But if they're, if they're going to be in competitive strength sports, it's not a matter of, when, if you're going to get hurt, it's a matter of when you're going to get hurt Absolutely. and the severity of when you're going to get hurt. And then what are you going to do afterwards? Because I saw, it's, in, in my experience, the people who had the greatest genetics, the ones that came in the sport, that just the ones that piss you off, that you train for 10 years, then they come in and within a year, they're like kicking your ass. And you're like, geez, this motherfucker doesn't even train. You know? <laughs> I want to put some shit in this goddamn protein shake, this piece of yeah. shit. But at the same time, it's like, wow, you know, what can this guy really do? You know, so there was always, I, I was always conflicted. 
you know, like this guy could do some amazing shit or fuck him. You know, here I am busting my ass. But what I typically saw was those were the guys that when they got hurt, something tore off, they were done. They could never come back from it. And my, my philosophy on that was they never had to, they never had to deal with the adversity of having a sticking point in a lift. They never had to work for two years to put five pounds on their total. Hell, I think Dave Hoff, you know, the guy at Westside now, I think yeah. it took him, I think it took him three years to put five pounds on his total. You know, that, that's a learning experience, man, because, you know, it's at the top of the game. It's really, once you get to the national level, you start to get above average. Let's just put it that way, above average, top 10%. Um, once you get there, it's really, and I hate them. I don't want this to come off the wrong way. It's really not even a matter of getting that much stronger. It's displaying the strength that you already have. So if you were to take a power lifter who's a top 10 power lifter in a weight class and ask them what they t- really think their best squat bench or deadlift would be given the right circumstances at the right time, it's a big deficit between that and what they displayed on the platform. Right. So, or if they put the, their best three lifts together in one meet, what's that going to be? You know, so when they start to get to that point or in strongman, they start to get to that national level, the strength isn't going to be an issue. They're going to do what they need to do to be able to be strong and ready for the contest or competition. What becomes the issue is how healthy can you bring them in? Like, can you bring them in with just a little bit of bicepial tendonitis? They're going to have something or just a little bit of plantar fasciitis, you know, and that's (laughs) it. Everything else is gold because then you're lucky as fuck. Yeah. Well, the healthiest guy is usually the guy that wins. They're they're in a better position to display the greatest strength. That's the whole philosophy behind a deload. Correct. Yeah. If if you peak for a meet and the last deadlift is 21 days out, that's the philosophy to make sure that when you go to pull that heavy max, PR that you're fresh enough to pull that. So the person that can go in with the least nicks and dings, you know, is always going to be better off. And the longer you do it, wear and tear begins to accumulate, which is another, it's another variable. So you can try everything and do everything right. But some things like biceps pack, stuff like that, you can do everything right. Do all the right warm ups, do all the right grip work, do everything you're supposed to do. And the fucker will still go. You know, <laughs> stop it right now. You're, I'm about to tear up. I'm looking at my bicep yeah. scar like that's fucking dead on, dude. I didn't do anything wrong, and that piece of shit broke, man. It's just, it's just wearing. That's care, just the man. way it came, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just over time. You got all the time as an athlete and all the stuff, and that's part of the game, you know. But for a lot of people, that's the part that sends them out, and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay, you know, because it's not like you're making a ton of money on it, and but. For a lot of other people, it's okay. It's, you know, a lot of the lifters that I trained with, every time they went down and you went over to see if they were okay, the first thing that came out of their mouth was, how fucking long is this one going to (laughs) take? You know, and when they would go down, and I don't want to give names, but a good friend of mine went down one time uh, with a knee and it was laying on the platform. And when we walked over, I I didn't hear that question. And I knew he was done. I knew he was done. He wasn't ever oh, coming back. Fuck. And he never he just, came back. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And this was after many, many injuries beforehand. 
but that's when you know you're done because it also it can ignite your training because you know it's 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 boring you know it's it's strength sports are boring you know people can make it to be glamour and all the other kind of stuff and you do have the big lifts which are fun but they're they're rare i mean if you really look through like your your full program over a 12-week period of time I mean, how many times are you really doing a set that you're like, fuck yeah. It's 90% dumbbell shit, basically, and yeah. some work, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's managing fatigue, you know, but you have to do a lot of little work, you know, which is very boring, you know, to make sure that you're recovering, to make sure everything's right, and it's very monotonous, and it's very tedious, and when you're in strength sports, unlike sports like bodybuilding and you know, even athletic, more athletic sports like football, you know, weight training for football, weight training for bodybuilding, weight training for other sports has a, a large room for air. Like you can, you can fuck up quite a bit in the weight room. And, and you'll still, still be great on the field. Y- yes. When it comes to powerlifting, that room for air is really fucking small. Weight lifting, it's very small. Strongman, it's very small, but probably still a little bit bigger than the other, but still small. You really can't fuck up a lot. You know, you have to be able to dial in and make sure it's right. And to do that becomes a very monotonous, consistent game of like a game of tag. Like you need to know when you can push and when you need to back off. And you can't, you can program a deload every three, four weeks. But if after, if you're warming up one day and it feels like shit, well, guess what? You're deloading. And yeah, you, the, you just you have know, a deload day now. Yeah, and now you have to figure out, is this because you're being a puss or is it because your body's trying to tell you something? And that's where it becomes a real a real self-actualized art or a, a very detailed process and basically self-actualization. You know, am I, and the natural tendency for most people who are in the gym that I know or, you know, what I would call you know, the aggressive types in the gym, the natural tendency is it's fuck it. I'm being a puss. And then, you know, let's do what we need to do and get this shit done where they need to pause and ask again, you know, (laughs) is this my body trying to tell me something, especially the older you get, because then, then it is, you can always pull back, you know, kind of like a slingshot. You can pull back on that day, but that next day you, that next week you release it and it hits like a motherfucker, you know, because And you have all those years of training that particular movement where, okay, you could take a week or two off to squat and fucking come back and murder it because you've squatted yes. 10,000 times. Yeah, um, I, I knew guys when I was still competing in that guy, uh, Dave Barno, he's, he's passed now, but he got to the point and he was over a thousand pound squatter, a thousand fifty squatter. This, we only, this is back when there were, there was no raw, it was all gear, no. but he, he only squatted once a month. His body couldn't take any more. Right now, that's years and years and years of competing. That but, he had the ability to do that. Yes, but he knew that the only way he was going to make it to the platform was to be able to do that. He had to pull back that far. That's something that uh, I mean, uh, tying that all into some of the stuff that I've heard, and it's just awesome. Um, it's uh, something like Brian told me too when I sat with him, and he was he one of the things he says a lot too is availability over ability, um, which ties in perfectly to. Man, it, it it often, especially in strongman, that's my that's my sport of choice. That's the love of my life. I've done many sports. Uh, it it was typically the healthier strongman, 
And I remember hearing, you know, when you're you're training, you, you can imagine your West Side days, like some new guy comes up and they're like, oh, man, I can't wait to face you in competition. I said, good, man. But you know what the fucking difference between you and me is? That the first day something fucks up on you, you're going to quit. And I'm going to do the sport until I fucking die. And, man, it's the, it's really like a war of attrition, I feel like. And it really becomes down to preserving your lifespan and and taking those deals when you need to and, and getting coached and listening to things like this and people that know, people who are wise enough to pass down information. And it's just really awesome to hear that confirmation coming from somebody with so much wisdom on, on your end. Because, fuck, man, like how many guys, like you said, how many guys, especially – and this is going to tie me into one of my questions that I, I really wanted to ask because, it's, of course, it's coming. Especially if you watch social media, uh, which I have no problem with. I fucking love social media. It's how I got in contact with you. I think it has some incredible aspects. Um, but at the same time, if you watch social media, you think everyone's healthy all the fucking time. Um, and everyone just does their complex lifts and live and leave. And that's something why I, I always tell people that my gym is not for everybody. I'm like, look, motherfucker, if you don't like, you know, good mornings, a barbell RDLs and some sled pulls that you're going to do like every fucking week forever, it's not your fucking gym. You're not going to do some crazy ass shit uh, just because that takes a, a specific kind of athlete. Um, and, and tying this into the question I'm trying to ask you is in social media. Now, I'm going to kind of veer it one way. There's a lot of shitty shit. Okay. Shitty shit's a word. I'm going to use it. Uh, JT, <laughs> trademark that, put on a shirt. Copyright it. Uh, bunch of shitty shit. Uh, but if, if, I know there's a lot of shit out there, but I know you have a lot of experience on it, and it's something that's pretty cool to see you uh, learn to master it, because uh, you're getting really good at your stories, by the way. Um, that's awesome. So if you were to say that there was something or someone out there putting out some fucking great content, uh, and I, not that's just not just content, not just like, oh, check this out. If you do this you know, movement, you'll be stronger, but also somebody who gives you the right perspective on sport. And the right kind of attitude and that right kind of like, look, man, it's a longevity concept. It's hard work. It's it's kind of just somebody who puts that kind of image. Is there somebody out there that comes to mind um, that you would say is, is, is making a big splash like that or a big influence? I don't I don't really follow people as much as I mean, I can I can kind of tell you how I use social media, but I don't follow people the way that most other people do. But to answer your question, I would say. You know, if, if they're looking for people who know their shit, have walked the walk or, you know, have something to offer of educational value that can make them better. Anybody who's been a part of Team Elite FTS past or present with just a couple exceptions. Um, but those exceptions aren't because of training knowledge. You know, just I need to make that clear. Just there yeah. are all people that will you can learn from that know their shit because we vet the shit out of everybody. Yeah. You know, so they're vetted differently. You know, the columnists were not so worried about what is their competitive background. Like, are they a national competitor? We're more worried about, can they write content that people can learn from, you know, because not everybody's got the physical attributes to be great in strength sports, but if they can write content that can help people become great, then that's kind of the role. But yet we have people like Swede and other people that are strong as fuck that are still columnists. Um, the yeah. coaches that we have on the side are on there for coaching reasons, you right. know, and the, the athletes are on there kind of for athlete reasons. But even even the athletes are vetted to where 
any of those people, if anybody was to ever walk up to them and ask them a question and they were to ask, answer their training question, I, I, nine out of, no, 99 out of 100 times, they're going to get the correct answer. And it's going to be an answer that's going to make them better. Um, as far as like following specific people on social media, I simply just don't have the time. Um, I don't well, I mean, or you can do this. There's this guy I know uh, who's really cool. And it's at the Battle Axe Gym. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, Dave. I mean, he sounds like a yeah. cool dude. I mean, yeah. but I'm just throwing that out there. He's just a random guy, you know. There you go. Yeah, he's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it, it, it's weird because things change and it moves around. Like you know, Facebook. Uh, I used to read my news feed just to kind of keep up on things, and then you know, it just it got so political and so you know uh. fucked up that. I basically the way I got around that now is I, a couple things. I only bookmark my page in the company page, and then we have like a private page for the company. So there are three separate bookmarks on my computer that I go to that just avoids the newsfeed altogether. And then on the newsfeed, you can tag, you know, who you want to see first. I just put a bunch of vacation places, you know, like <laughs> beaches and shit. So by the time I. Yeah, by the time I finger flip up three or four times, I'm still seeing beaches and I'm bored of beaches. So I, I don't I don't see anything, you know, on so Facebook's kind of taken care of. Um, Twitter has just kind of been a disaster the last few oh, years. Yeah. So I, I don't even go on that. But Instagram I started to embrace recently, and probably last year or so, because of not because of the posts that I make. I really for for the longest time I was just reposting other stuff. It's the, the DMs are clean, and I don't mean lack of profanity. I mean, they're actual, like, real emails. You know, they're, they're, it's not spammy like the Twitter, you know, yeah. private message or spammy like uh, Messenger has gotten so bad. So I don't even open Messenger anymore. Right. It's, these, these are real people, you know, that have real questions that I can communicate with. So that's why I always make those posts saying I answer all my DMs because I do. I answer every single one every single day. Um, even the critics, you know, I'll reply back to them. Um, it keeps me closer to the customer base for one thing. Um, and it's and I've been so fortunate that since the company's been around for 20 years, I have people that have been following the company for 20 years. You know, I got people been following the company for 10 years. So if, if we post something that's a little fucked up or something that they don't like, they'll let me know. And yeah. I'm grateful if they let me know because sometimes I might get five, six people that say, dude, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, no and it could, bueno. Yeah, I mean, it could be a product. It could be something new that we're trying out. And, I mean, right away, it's, you know, five or six people. I'm like, oh, okay, pause. Because, you know, one person, when it's five or six people, that usually means it's probably a thousand people are thinking the same way. You know, take a pause on this. Let's reevaluate. Is this really what we need to be doing? You know, because this is the, so I'll dig in. And I now I have the ability to be able to dive in and communicate and say, you know, what exactly? And kind of get down through there. Now, the reg, regular critics, I mean, that's a whole different, that's a different conversation. But um, they... But they're they're for the most part they're far and few, and um, that so I basically just use the Instagram to drive people into the DMs so I can be able to communicate with them and help them because yeah, a lot of times I stepped into the DM, bro. That's exactly and I, and I, not to cut you up, but the credit to you, man. It's like 
I think you give off that kind of uh, that kind of energy. We're like, hey man, like I'm here to answer questions, um, and you do. And fuck, man, I can't tell you how cool that is because typically a lot of guys that rise to the top and are popular in our world just man, there's such a disconnect and a big difference between just being a you know a successful businessman or successful athlete and then still having time to to give back to the community and uh, well it's, 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 it's actually it's to me it's 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 more than that i mean it's if as we talked before if somebody asks a question and they have the courage to at least post the question that's to me that deserves a reply and then there's the other side you know a lot of the stuff people ask me is very simple stuff and i'm giving a very simple answer out too and they could have went and they could have googled it but instead of google they picked me think about that instead of google they picked me so my opinion to them was more value than google that's a fucking honor so if people are like blowing off their dms and people are asking them questions what the fuck is wrong with people you know it's like oh they could have just googled that i'm like dude you don't understand they chose not to because they want to hear what you have to say that's that that's an honor man that's character it's integrity you know it's it's respect it's actually it's responsibility you know so it's so that's kind of why i feel that way because i'll get people that I mean dudes that are struggling to get 135 on the bench and they're trying their ass off and i mean the form is just fucking atrocious <laughs> and it's, it's it's almost impossible to fix you know over yeah. i mean it really is i mean it's 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 impossible, but I can tell them to squeeze the bar harder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, there's always something you can do to be able to help somebody just a little bit. Or there's Ooh. even the motivation that you fucking responded. I mean, yeah. that ties into what you were talking about before. I think in our age now, uh, besides it being like a line, like, hey, like a quote, it's also the fact that that coach took a second to look at you and it, or to listen to you. I mean, I, I was I asked myself that question, like, what would I tell myself back in the day? And I'm like, you know what? I probably couldn't tell my 24-year-old self dick because I thought it was awesome. But I could listen because no one fucking listened. Everyone was just ready mm -hmm. to tell me what to do. And I was like, fuck you. You know, I'm in Muay Thai. I can fight, you know, stupid ass 24-year-old mm -hmm. shit. But taking the time to just look, I can see that you read my post and you just responded to me is enough to be like, hey, man. That, that keeps me in the sport. You know, there's still good people out there. I think that's, it, it's almost like a, a long side of giving a quote to modernized version of inspiring people uh, with, with the power of social media. Cause it could be somebody in the, across the goddamn world, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the cool things that you just said that I don't think you, you may not have thought about, you still understand what it's like to be that 24 year old kid. So now when you go to give advice to that person, you know they're going to be cocky. You know they're going to be arrogant. You know it's going to take a little bit harder. It's going to be a little take longer to get through. You know, so it's, you know, they're not going to change, you know, but you were you were that kid, you know, yeah. that same way. You know, so I know the first time I tell somebody something, they're probably not going to listen. I'm yeah. now, and when, when I, I relate it this way, I'm, I'm now that old guy sitting across the breakfast table giving the other dude advice. I'm now yeah. that guy. <laughs> you know, when I was sitting there, when I'm sitting there, I'm like, you piece of shit. Yeah, I'm like, shut the fuck up. What, do you, what can you do now, you old man? Like, now I'm that dude. You know? But, I, that's how I was, too. I'm like, yeah. you don't even fucking train, bro. Fuck out of here. Yeah. 
but I, but the, the difference is I still remember what it's like to be on the other side of the table. Right. So it might take a little bit longer. It might take a little bit more time. But, you know, if he can help these guys avoid some of the pitfalls, you know, then they should be able to go to higher levels. And I think we've seen that across all sports, you know, throughout decades. Because the younger athletes do tend to learn from those that have come before because of those conversations that they have. Not everything sinks in. But enough sinks in that you can look at pretty much any sport and go back 10 years and look at it compared to now. And there's there's a difference. Yeah, I, and it's especially the ones you want to keep in the sport and worthwhile. Um, uh, we're, we're coming up to the hour, Dave, so I know you're a busy man, dude. Honestly, if you chit-chat with me and JT, we'll probably be here for hours because we're chatting. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you one more question, yeah. and it's not a serious one. It's something that is just we're going to end it on a cool note. Then we're going to close it down. And, um, again, I can't thank you enough for fucking taking time to do this shit. It means a lot. It means a lot to my gym, dude. Um, I'm telling you right now, like, when I'm not telling anybody about this. I'm just going to post it. I just kind of tagged it on the Insta story because I'm literally cheesing. But I can't tell you this is the kind of thing, like, we just talked about, knowing that shit, you know, my people say my coach yeah, took a chance and it happened. Uh, and fuck, it paid off, and it's the same kind of like motivation for them to stay in the sport. That there's still a great community out there. So I, I wanted to thank you uh, on a real personal and an almost. I'm a, I'm Hispanic, so everything's emotional. Okay, it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything's like. Don't worry if I cry myself to sleep. Okay, Dave, just let it go. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna end it on a fucking cool, fun question. And then we're going to close it down. Okay, so you're stranded on a fucking island, okay? It's like an island that you want to go on vacation. You get one barbell, you get one fucking movement, and you get one album to hear it forever. Go. I throw the barbell in the ocean because of my hair. <laughs> Fuck the barbell. You know? Um, <laughs> all right, all, the last thing I need to do while I'm there is get fucking hurt. And I know that fucking barbell is going to end up getting me hurt. It's going to wreck my back. I'm not going to be able to find the tree to get the coconut. Um, Music, as corny as it's going to sound, I'd probably say Alicia Keys. Get the fuck out of here. I did not expect that. Go on. Tell me why. Um, Over the past, this is is kind of fucked up, but over the past 10 years or so, when people started training to the real, really heavy stuff, it sounds like people are vomiting. Um, <laughs> what I started doing was playing, like, and you'll hear it in some of the background of the Instagram clips I'm putting up now. You'll hear, like, Christina Aguilera, Alicia Keys. It's like I purposely put on stuff just to drive people nuts, Britney Spears, <laughs> just to drive, because it, it makes no difference to me whatsoever. But man, like it drives my, other people fucking crazy. Like, oh, but I, yeah, I've done it so long now that I'm like, oh yeah, man, I got a beat for this shit now, and it's <laughs> it's kind of like fucking warped my interpretation of what's good and bad. Um, so it's 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 and there's other significance with that where you know my my father passed not too long ago, a few years ago, and the one album that I can't I can't remember the name of it because I, I I'm a music junkie, I listen to everything. But that album I listened to over and over and over and over because I was doing tons of cardio, tons of training just to try to deal with the fact of everything that was going on. And so that it's got a, it's got a more of a special significance to me, not because of the lyrics or anything else, but it just happened to be what was on my phone 
at that time. And it just, I kept playing it over and over. It was my way of getting my brain out of my head so I could focus on, you know, just kind of getting away because to be there for the rest of my family, I had to have some time to, to just get away from everything. And to me, that was the treadmill. And it was the same music that just kind of puts you almost in a trance type of state that just allows everything just to chill and relax so you can be there, you know, for your family and everything else during that, that time. So that's why I say that. So there's, there's a couple reasons why, um, but there's any other thing, any other thing I would get bored with. Right. That, that, that's a man to tie it in. It's like my old coach when I was a fighter, we used to have to wake up at four thirty in the morning and do like stairmaster and cardio. And he would put on like old Motown and like old classical music at five fifteen in the morning, just to fuck with me. And then, now it'll come up randomly on some of my like Spotify music, and I'm like, hey, what a great song! <laughs> yeah, you'll jump on the stairmaster. Yeah, I'm like, I'm ready to run. <laughs> like, like some musical, I'm like, ill musical, and then I'm singing along. It's ridiculous. So, so what you're telling me is you're Hispanic, and the Motown shit's working. <laughs> yeah, <Yo>, word. <laughs> I, I had to throw that back your way. <laughs> Yo, <duh. laughs> Dave, uh, bro, it's been fucking awesome. Um, uh, so I want to thank you again. I want to shout out to all the Elite FTS family. Again, to Beardstrong Podcast for putting this together. JT and John, guys have always been my brother because I don't understand technology. Uh, Dave, there's anything you want to say or like add on to the end? If you want, go ahead, brother. Always give. You know, it's for years and years I always gave this speech, you know, live, learn, pass on. The reason why you pass on, you know, is because of what other people have done. Right now in this industry, we're all reaping the seeds that people planted 20, 30 years ago. You know, so this is, I mean, back then there were no personal trainers. There were no strength coaches. You know, there, there were no, the fighting gyms were not like they are now. There were no gyms like they are now. You know, they were either YMCA gyms or whatever, but all those guys Pacific of Kazmaier, all those guys, you know, planted the seeds. And we all now have this great profession that all these people are allowed to thrive in. So it's our responsibility to be laying our own seeds. And what I see today is a lot of people throw the seeds down and they, they'll water them and they expect growth. They expect to see, you know, the, you know, the trees starting to come up from under their feet. And what they don't understand is they're not planting the seeds for themselves. They're planting the seeds for the future because they're already in the forest of the seeds planted by those that came before. So yeah, yeah. it's a social responsibility to be able to keep giving back. Not only that, but the other thing with giving is, and I've been told this all the time, if you give away too much, then you devalue you know, your offering or you devalue your service. And my question back when I hear that is to who? Because the only reply that they can say is, well, to the market. Well, mm. what, makes you, what makes you think that I'm giving just because of the market? Right. And the, the way I like the concept. Yeah, the way I like to, to, to wrap that up, because it's easier for people to understand. We've all been taught at some point in our time that you have to forgive people for sins that they've done or things that they've done to you, not so much for them, but for you. Yeah. Giving is the same way, you know? So if you give somebody a gift, 
you know, you don't expect a return. You know, if you give somebody a new pair of shoes and then they go take and sell those shoes on eBay, you can sit there and say, what the fuck? But it still didn't change why you gave that person the gift. It's, I mean, literally what I just spoke, it's something uh, to tie on to that. Uh, and I agree with you a hundred fucking percent is I've been asked before and maybe you have too. It's like, you know, how could you train that person? You know, they fucked you over or they lied to you or they're, you know, whatever. Um, or, you know, they're just going to leave and come back. And obviously within reason, you know, not to be disrespected. And I, I told them, uh, you know, to me, coaching has been like, like I'm a farmer. I've, I've related this a lot. Um, I may not like carrots, but I most certainly love the art of farming the soil, the seed, the watering, the toiling, and the dirt. And I can I can love and, and nurture this seed to become a carrot. It doesn't mean I want to eat the fucking carrot. It doesn't mean I want to hang out with the carrot. It doesn't mean I'm going to do anything with this carrot. But I most certainly love the art of farming, and I relate that to coaching, where I love coaching. I, I have now found, no matter how grumpy and how fucking bitter I act, that I love to help. And it's an incredible feeling to see somebody not only progress physically, but mentally and emotionally and consciously or spiritually. And that person may not be exactly what I think a cool person is or a friend of mine. Or even in some cases, I know they're going to fuck me over. But I know that I did what I thought was the right thing to do no matter what. And I feel like that's kind of what you're telling me. And, and, and I relate it to farming, you know. Yeah, I mean, you put you put good out to the universe. The universe brings it back, right? Um, and so if you, if people are misunderstanding that and saying that if I put good out to this person, this specific person needs to give it back where I can give probably 50 examples of sitting down with, you know, strength and conditioning coaches for four or five hours, helping them develop their training philosophy, only to see them within the next year go spend, you know, two, $300,000 on a weight room from a competitor of mine. Right. Who, who's to say I was. Who's, I can sit there and say that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. They should have, you know, reciprocated and be a grumpy, angry person for it. Or I can understand that, you know what, there's there's probably thousands of people per year who buy from Elite FTS who I've never spoke to. Yeah. So I gave out to the universe, the universe gives back. It may not be the way that you think it is, but it always does. Yeah, that positive energy reciprocates. Giving. So, you know, call it spiritual, call it, you know, whatever you want. It is what it is. And it's what I've seen. Well, man, I don't think there's another better point to end on. Um, I can't. I mean, I completely 100 percent agree. So, again, uh, Beard Strong podcast, JT, John, thank you so much for helping me do this. Elite FTS, Dave Tate, I can't fucking thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us here in Miami. To my Battle Axe family, my friends, I hope you fucking hear this and remind yourselves that to have the courage to ask a question, to have the courage to reach out is the first step in growth. A couple of the things we touched base on and things that I'll, I'll never forget is it's always hard and to never forget where you came from. So this is MDLP. This is the Battle Axe podcast saying, don't be a pussy. Everything ends.